This might sound like the plot of a spy novel, but UK startups are increasingly at risk of state actors trying to steal their assets. Take one Scottish renewable manufacturer that was harnessing wave power. They were visited by a 60-strong delegation led by a senior Chinese official. A couple of months after that, some of their laptops were stolen. Guess what happened next? Yup, pictures emerged showing a Chinese firm making a product that was virtually identical. This is why we're working with the National Protective Security Authority and the National Cyber Security Center, the UK's security experts. They got in touch with us because they see such a growing threat facing UK startups. How are they responding? With the launch of a new campaign, Secure Innovation. It's not just your cybersecurity that matters, but your physical security too. If you want to get a better handle on your security, check out npsa.gov.uk forward slash innovation and download their free quick start guide. There's a link in the show notes. It was tough, really tough. I had to tell somebody that they were going to lose their job. You know, I was doing the numbers and uh, first time in my life I had to do that and it was this big Australian dude and he burst into tears and totally not the, the reaction you know I was expecting but I had to deal with it I came to conclusion you know that we'd signed this deal um, and in hindsight you know big mistake Alex Chisnell today is the founder of Podpreneur a podcast agency and the host of the screw it just do it podcast which I just appeared on if you want to check it out he's built a great business and loves what he does but his first foray into entrepreneurship was a bit of a disaster After a debt collector knocked on his door, blocked his car and refused to leave, it resulted in him having to come clean to his wife about the extent of his business's problems. It was the worst place Alex has ever been. He explains how it got to that point, his regrets and the business lessons he took from it so you don't make the same mistakes. In 2009, Alex left Virgin after 17 years. He had a year's worth of pay and wanted to start his own thing, having been inspired by Richard Branson, who put in quite a lot of FaceTime back then. Anyway, Alex started off as a personal trainer, but then saw a gap in the market. Relatively early on, I would say, um, definitely within the first year, and that was a realisation to me of a lot of the clients I was working with were getting repetitive strain injuries from training for things like marathons, triathlons, etc. And also from work, from literally being sat at a desk all day. I went and retrained and I, I definitely didn't want to be one of those people of which there are a lot, especially in that industry, because the industry is kind of built around that, that every single month they're doing a different course. You know, um, They're just paying money to do courses all the time. Li- lifetime learners. Um, so I, I did that and, and I managed to get a fantastic location, which was the second busiest leisure center in the whole of the UK. And it also backed onto the biggest employer in Bournemouth, which was JP Morgan. And so there was like 6,000 people primed for repetitive strain injuries of being sat at a desk all day. So yeah, I segued into that and that became the main thing. The practice was flying, and then it suddenly dawned on Alex that he could build something much bigger. I thought I could scale it to a chain of sports injury clinics because I then then became aware of an organisation, which funnily enough, I I guess life comes full circle, doesn't it? Which which last night I was on a call to them about 
launching a podcast for them with my podcast agency. And I came across them maybe yeah a decade ago, and they were uh, a coaching organization for fitness professionals. And that was the first time that I had been made aware that I could just go from a one-man band to actually taking that step back and being the business owner, employing other people and scaling the business. So that's what I did. But I, I thought it, yeah, I thought I could, I thought I could scale it to a chain of sports injury clinics in leisure centres. So the leisure centre that I was with had a bunch of other leisure centres. So we managed to negotiate uh, to have treatment rooms in another three of those. I think two or three of those. Um, and I was employing a team of therapists. I then employed, uh, you know, receptionist, the PA, etc. And I could see, I could definitely see where this could go. And you know, I had high hopes. And then I was, I was approached by a couple of people who were launching a brand new facility in Sandbanks. You know, one of the most well-known places for the cost of property in the UK. And it was a multi-purpose facility with it, with a yacht club, with um, a cafe, a restaurant, a gym, lots of other therapists there from chiropractors to beauty therapists. And I just thought, right, this is fantastic. We've got, you know, again, an amazing location. Um, people who have got the money to, to spend on, on something like this, and I've got the team to do it. I just need to employ more people to cover when we when we launch. Sandbanks looks like the dream site on paper, but Alex should have listened to his gut from the start. From the first day that I moved into the new facility at Sandbanks and when I got introduced to the owner there and I tentatively put my hand up, kind of moved towards him, looked at him and he just looked at me, carried on walking and walked straight out of the room. And I just thought, wow okay, this isn't a good sign. This isn't, this isn't good vibes. But following on soon from that, it was when they launched the club. You know, And for me, I'd been sold this dream, this multi-purpose facility, working with all these other therapists um, in a great environment with a, with a, with a gym. Um, and there was nobody there. And it was me and the other therapists all just like looking at each other going, okay, now what are we going to do? And all of the other therapists there, one-man bands, and I've been there. I know that that was tough, but what was tougher for me was knowing that I'd employed, I think, two, maybe even three new therapists, a receptionist, because I'm thinking we're going to this swanky, high-end club full of boat-owning, you know, multi-millionaires, and there just wasn't anybody there. So it was a lot of time just spent in the cafe drinking coffee, and then, and then I literally just took matters into my own hands. I literally sat on the pavement with a desk, handing out flyers, kind of going, you know, old school marketing. But it just wasn't in a location near to footfall. It was literally one of those locations that's just around the corner from and 100 yards down the road from the main line of shops and the main car park. So very soon, um, I knew a couple of guys who were doing something like Groupon locally, where they would drive a load of traffic to you, People would buy your services for maybe 20, 25% of the full value. And you knew you had an opportunity to sell to them then. You know, you had them in a room, they'd be, they'd be getting an amazing treatment from you. You'd hopefully, you know, be relieving some pain that they felt. You, you've, you know, you become you become a therapist in more ways than one, not just a physical therapist, but people share all sorts of things with you in that environment. So I had high hopes, but 
very soon, you know, when we sat down and we went through our kind of monthly figures, one of the therapists hadn't even sold one booking, hadn't even upsold one extra booking. The problem was that most people in Sandbanks don't live there 12 months a year. They're rich, so they have pads all over the world, meaning the people who were buying the Groupon-like deal were buying it as a one-off treat. There was no repeat business. And another mistake Alex had made was not paying rent that scaled over time as the site became more popular. Instead, he'd been paying full rent from day one. Alex had to let the Australian chap go and wondered how the hell he was going to get through this. So very soon, you know, I came to the conclusion that I simply wasn't hitting anywhere near the revenue numbers. After that initial wave of people came in and generated, uh, you know, a spike in income for the for the fourth centre, I'm pretty sure it was the fourth or the fifth, um, things just flatlined again. You know, I had to get rid of that first therapist. I'm left with two therapists and a receptionist on a, you know, government training scheme where I'm still paying some some amount of money. And I'm having to start moving money around. So my bills are getting later. I'm paying the rent later. Um, I'm paying the therapists later. Um, that that was the, the most horrible bit was then my own personal bills started sliding, you know, um, getting later on the mortgage payments, getting later on the electricity, later on the gas, later on the telephone, later on the council tax, you know, and those, those, those brown envelopes started coming, coming through the door, um, having to have awkward conversations with the managers of the different leisure centres because they want to know why, why their bills aren't being paid on time. And things just started falling around my ears, basically, to the stage that I get a phone call from my 17 or 18-year-old um, receptionist saying one day they've locked the treatment room, they've changed the locks, we can't get in there. And I'm literally like panicking going, but we've got customers, you know, we still had customers coming in. It might have only been a couple, but we had people coming in that day. And it's literally, you know, I hope I never have to go through, I hope no one ever listening to this program has to go through anything like that again. They managed to reopen the treatment rooms, but it was a plaster on a gushing wound. The facility owners didn't want Alex near the site, so he was banished to a nearby hotel. He was trying to keep on a brave face, but... He was in turmoil. It was like excruciating. I would literally be struggling to sleep that night. I, you know, my heart was palpitating. Um, it was all of those, you know, it was manifesting itself in physical ways as well as, as well as mental ways like that. And I think, well, I don't think I know that the lowest point was, was getting a knock on the door and it was, you know, a debt collector, and it was from the council tax. And I guess the council tax had kind of farmed that out to an agency. And this, you know, the, the typical, you know, seven foot, seven foot tall, um, you know, brick outhouse appears at the front door and kind of squeezes his size twelves inside the the front door and goes, "I park my car at the front of your driveway, in front of your car. I'm not leaving until you pay this bill." And it was literally my wife in the front room going, what's that? What's happening, Alex? Ugh, gives me shivers just talking about it and, and literally telling him, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll sort it out. I'll work it out. Give me, give me some time. And he's got, you've got an hour. Okay. 
and sitting down with my wife, having the conversation and her being incredibly understanding and just going straight into action mode and going, okay, how much money have you got on, on your credit cards? Um, and between the two of us, literally managing to, uh, to flip things around. It begs the question, how honest had Alex been with his wife? That's a really good question. It's good to ask the tough questions as well. I think in hindsight, and we're, we're, you know, we're going back um, a good, yeah, we're going back a decade now, I guess, um, or shy of a decade, I would say. Definitely not 100%. I, I, was, I was definitely, you know, burying envelopes in, in drawers and in, in carrier bags and got to that stage where I wasn't even opening them, you know, and just burying my head in the sand because it was 100% overwhelm. It, it, you know, literally felt like, you know, those analogies of you literally felt like a tsunami of a wave or a skyscraper was coming top. It literally felt like that, like that kind of pressure bearing down on you. But, you know, at the time to, to dig us out of that hole, you know, we, you know, and they're flexible. Of course, they're flexible. So they're like, yeah, we'll take £300 off that card. We'll take £200 off that card. We'll take another 250 off that card. And we're literally just flipping cards around like uh, like a game of roulette or something like that. So I definitely definitely haven't been completely honest with her. You know, she's running her own business as well. We've got two young children at the time, really young children at the time. I think probably like two or three, and you know, five or six years old. Um, so definitely could have done without that kind of pressure at the time. So. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think the, the, the learnings there are, are, are definitely the, the sooner, the more honest you can be. And if you can share that with someone, and I know not everyone's able to do that. I've always been a solo founder, again, and it's, it's, it's a tough place to be when you've got no one else to lean on. But that's where, you know, being like within an organization like NPE that I was talking about before, having just like a mentor a coach, someone to speak to, someone to bounce stuff off. I think if we all looked hard enough, most of us would probably find someone that we could we could speak to like that. And if, if you haven't got, you know, wife, partner, husband, etc., there'll be someone there that you can you can share. Um, you know, someone who's a good listener, uh, someone not necessarily who's who's been through that. Always good to find someone who's probably been through that, but someone who, who could just listen really and be a sounding board because you just going to bed with it all yourself. And the the moment you kind of share that, you can then put a plan together. You get somebody else's eyes on it, problem shared, you know, all those kinds of analogies. And yeah, I think that was the first moment for me on trying to get things back. And also knowing, knowing when to quit is a tough one. And I think lots of us have definitely been in that position, myself included, of not knowing when to quit. I should have quit far sooner and there's no shame in that it's, it's recognizing it and moving on to something else whilst the first site had been profitable the next two were more like part-time operations and the sandbanks location was a money sinkhole it all came crashing down around alex he couldn't keep hold of any of the sites at the time he thought it was the worst thing that had ever happened to him and look it is tough to escape that feeling i know what that's like but Alex says you have to remember, it is just a business and you will learn from it. Alex, for instance, learned the importance of growing sustainably. So don't dig yourself a bigger hole, he says, and don't make it your legacy. 
That was Alex Chisnell, who screwed it after doing it, but is now doing it the right way. Thanks for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. If you like this episode, please subscribe or follow us and leave a review. We love to hear what you think and we really appreciate it. Thank you and see you next time. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.